Welcome to Marketing for a Digital World, a podcast series introducing students to a variety of marketing professionals as they share practical career advice, examples, and stories from their careers to help students deepen their understanding of foundational marketing theory and practice. These episodes are hosted by British Columbia Institute of Technology professor Tracy Renzullo and are a key feature within the new interactive textbook of the same name authored by Scott Erickson the Charles A. Dana Professor and Chair of Marketing in the School of Business at Ithaca College. New podcast episodes are available for free each week during the 2022-23 academic year, providing listeners with thought-provoking and movement-enabling content that can be absorbed on the bus, at the gym, or walking between classes. Marketing for a Digital World is produced by Flip Learning, a publisher of exciting new books for undergraduates, authored exclusively by professors who have won major teaching awards. For more information about this new introductory marketing textbook, as well as our other titles, please click the link or go to fliplearning.com. Now, leading into your current position as director of digital at Reading Plus, I want to give our listeners an understanding of what Reading Plus is and what product you offer there. Yeah, so Reading Plus is an education company that is really dedicated to rapidly improving the elementary, middle school, and high school students' reading achievement. So we work with over a million students each year and over 8,000 schools across the country. So our product is a software product that is also supported by printable materials and training resources for educators. So essentially, as a student is progressing through our platform, it zeroes in on the skill sets that they need to develop further. So if there are indicators that they need to strengthen their reading comprehension or their reading vocabulary, it'll pinpoint that, it'll assign additional activities for them in those areas. Also, we'll send the teacher different um, props to help provide additional support outside of the platform itself. So it has a lot of data insights for the educator. It automatically prescribes a learning experience to the student and then has a ton of different reporting as well for district leadership and school leadership. Let's talk a bit about the target market because um, we all know that we can have an amazing product at the best price out there. But if you're say, trying to sell a snow shovel to a family in Maui, doesn't matter how great it is, how you know the price could be the best, it's not going to sell, right? So can you tell me who your target market is? Who are you actually approaching to sell your product to? So in the education technology space, our target audiences are a bit complex in the sense that there's there's two main ways that I look at it, which is you have your influencers and your decision makers on that buying journey. So it some districts like to be very centralized where they make the decisions for all the schools within a school district. There are also school districts that are decentralized where they let the schools make their own decisions. And they, and so you're not necessarily having to sell at a district level, you're at a school level. Um, you also have influencers in the decision-making process. So usually your superintendent and your principal are your decision-makers, but they are going to lean heavily on others in their organization. So there's a curriculum director at a district level. There's a reading specialist at a school level. There are all these different moving parts. There's a reading teacher. There's, uh, at a district level, about 
five different district personas who we've identified. So you have a finance and purchasing officer, you have Title I coordinators, um, curriculum level um, directors, is, which I mentioned before, but those get even more specific into key areas. So there's a lot of people <laughs> quite often at the end um, when you are going through the sales process, you have a meeting with give or take 10 or 15 people in that meeting. So all those influencers there at the table. So when you're looking at marketing, you have to build awareness within all your influencers and also with your decision makers, but the level of awareness sort of changes, right? You want your decision maker to know who you are, but your influencers where you spend a lot of your time so that it, you want the decision maker to reach out to the influencers for their perspective and have already planted the seed with all those influencers that you are the go-to product and for them to really be supportive of you as a purchase. So there's those influencers and decision makers, but then also this level of centralized and decentralized decision-making in the school districts and at the schools. It sounds pretty complicated in terms of trying to sort all that out. <laughs> is very complicated because even within a state, it varies at every single district. And so once you've been in the space a little bit, it's easier to, like you, you understand which ones gravitate in which directions, but we have the benefit of having a relatively finite audience. So there are about 13,000 districts in the country. And so it's not changing very quickly. So once you do have that landscape of accounts, it, it is limited in a sense. So can you give me an example of a digital marketing campaign that was successful for you in trying to reach your target market? Sure. So we like to do national campaigns that we segment more locally. So what we'll do is a, a recent campaign that we did was around funding because right now there's a ton of funding relief for schools and districts, given the impact of the last year with COVID specifically, but there are always new stimulus funds and, and funding resources available to schools. So it's a big awareness campaign, but it does vary at the different states how that is distributed. The terminology at a school and district also varies a lot. So the way they're talking about certain student populations, so a great example that we often tailored to our audience would be how they refer to multilingual learners or English learners or English language learners that varies all over the country. So in marketing, we'll tailor our email to those audiences. So we have a really strong alignment to the English language learning standards. And so we sent an email campaign out nationally about how the funding could be used to support their English learners. However, then you want to segment by all those different states to try to use their local terminology and make it really feel local and relevant to them. We also in include things in this is all where digital marketing is really handy, where the way their email reads is tailored to their state. The subject line actually said, Texas educators, resources to support your English learners. And so that's all automated in the software to add those personalization pieces there. We also segmented it. So we segmented it by job title. So that particular message went to some English um, and, and um, international student support job titles at the school level and also at the district level. So really knowing your audience is really important there. So you, you can tailor it by the messaging within the email, the segmentation from the perspective of job titles from states 
to key districts if you want to mention that. And then another key area in our email campaigns that we segment is the signature parameters as well because we have a different um, a different sales team member for each state and sometimes even more than one within the state and so you want to make sure that it feels local and is coming from the face of your organization they'd be interacting with so this is where we also have our digital marketing platform can do that now it took a lot to set that up but it'll tailor the from information, the headshot, all of that automatically so we can send um, across the country, but have it feel really local. So email is obviously a key part of your marketing. And I think there's a lot of people out there and students maybe in particular that are so focused on social and perhaps don't appreciate the value of email marketing as part of an overall marketing strategy, especially when you're marketing from a B2B perspective. So it's pretty clear based on the example you've given how important email is. It sounds like you couldn't live without it. No, yeah, so email is the primary driver to our leads and nurturing stream that we use to reach our leads. So the way to think about it is social media can get them in the door, it's that top of the funnel. And quite often social media can drive them to our website. If you're on our website and then you download a resource from us, that's what then helps us identify who you are. Because before that, a website visitor, you have some limited visibility to seeing who they are and how to contact them until they download something through a form. It's called gating your content when you put it behind a form. And so that's when you can start your nurturing, your follow-up, and your outreach. So email is really critical, even if you are someone coming from social media, in a B2B setting, especially when we don't sell directly through our website. So there is this longer nurturing, and that's reflective of that more complex influencer decision-making landscape that we have. So our average time to close a deal is three to six months. And so you have to engage someone throughout that entire period. And those longer deal periods is pretty common in the B2B space. Sometimes it's not quite that long, but that's where email is really helpful to add additional information and to tailor what your outreach is to those different audience members. So just taking maybe taking us through the steps of the lead generation campaign. So you talked about first using social or yeah, maybe even yeah. a visit to your website. So do you engage in search engine optimization? Do you have yeah, paid so and free search out there to drive traffic to your site? Yes, yeah, so we do paid keyword search. Um, we have a lot of SEO underway with different partners and some in-house expertise there as well. And then we do Facebook, a little bit of Instagram ads, so Facebook ads and a little bit of Instagram ads. Um, and then organic traffic on our social media pages. So those are common ways that we bring in traffic to our website primarily. And once they're on your website, you're saying that you try to get them to download some information so that you can get more information about the visitor, right? In the hopes that you can then target them and then do you take them from that point into an email marketing? Yes, yep, so then they will, once they submit that form, they'll automatically be added to our marketing platform, which we use HubSpot at our organization, and then we can actually see all of their engagement from then on. So essentially what the platform does is you'll start to get, essentially it's, it's a cookie, and we can track if they go back to our website and engage in additional materials, we get all of that information from that point on. 
I think one of the key lessons for me and what you've discussed here is that you can't just ask for an email address. So what you're saying is you're giving your potential customer something of value. So they're downloading something that's going to be of value to them in their business. And then you basically are earning their trust, right? They need to trust you enough to now give up some personal information so that you can continue marketing to them. But if there's nothing that you've provided of value, why would they give up their personal information? They just wouldn't. Agreed. Yes. Yeah, we don't usually lead with a product pitch, right? Or get reading plus for XYZ because quite often in that buyer's journey, they're at an awareness stage. They don't know who you are yet. And so providing value, being part of that conversation, it's called, it's called thought leadership um, strategy is really important. So giving something away that's useful, you know, here's some best practices, here's some tips, here's a success story of a, a local educator in your, in your neighborhood or within your state or your district who's doing something really well that you could learn from. So all that engaging content and that content strategy is really important because it's building that audience and that relationship for you. Now that whole content strategy piece, because that sounds like that's a big part of your marketing approach, does that all fall under your area? And how does that work? Do you hire expert writers to create these thought leadership pieces? Yes, so it does fall within our marketing team. And so we have, so on my team, I have a senior marketing editor who is a former educator. So for that role, I specifically look for that expertise and that experience having been an educator, because if you're driving a lot of that content, you have to use the language of what will resonate with educators and also just having that natural voice and tone and positioning is a skill that while you can learn it, it having been a teacher and a past educator who works in marketing is a really strong skill set. So I do have a senior marketing editor on our team who used to be a teacher for years in reading. Um, however, we also rely heavily on the different leaders across the organization for some of that and third party partners. So when we are really looking to dive into some of the key concepts about the best practices in teaching reading instruction, that's where we're going to rely more on our, uh, we have a chief research officer or a chief content officer to be our thought leader partner and actually will ghostwrite on their behalf because they are the more credentialed person to have that come from on behalf of the organization. So we have three spokespeople within the organization. They inform a lot of that messaging for the thought leadership strategy. We also take those thought leadership topics and those content marketing topics and we present them at conferences across the country. So those are our team members who are actually presenting all of these theories and these practices. Then what we'll do is piggyback off of that presentation and turn it into a collateral piece or a guide or a blog post. Repurposing content in your content strategy is really helpful because if you've come up with all those talking points and that positioning, you can reuse it in a lot of different channels.